Alright you absolute legend, welcome to A Need To Read, I'm Ed, your host, and today I've got a conversation with Daniel from the Instagram, Twitter account, The Nice-ish Psychologist and the host of The Nice-ish Ramblings podcast. Now he's a forensic and clinical psychologist and he uses spare time to educate people on the internet about issues relating to things that they might not be thinking about, like masculinity, sexual violence against women, gender issues... And just how all of that plays into society and culture today and how it all interlinks. Not something that people wake up and think about straight away, but something that really casts a shadow over our society for the most part. That's what I've come to learn anyway, because I've now started thinking about this more and reading about it more. So it was interesting to have a chat with Dan today about masculinity, man box culture, uh, the concept of not all men, how to speak about gender properly religion's role in the patriarchy, the patriarchy in government, women in government, and how men can be an ally. It was a really good conversation, and hopefully you enjoyed it, and it's enlightening for you as much as it was for me. Now, I'll put a list of all the content in the description of the episodes, but also in the description of the episodes, you'll find the sponsors of this show. Now, I'm a huge advocate of self-actualizing and reaching your potential. Um, I'm also an advocate of doing that through therapy and getting in touch with your dark side. So if you are one of those people who's considering therapy, just know that I'm an advocate for it. And I have a place where you can get 10% off online therapy. And that is betterhelp.com forward slash need to read. You'll be matched with a therapist within 48 hours of filling out your questionnaire. So it's rapid. That's one thing to note. And also it's cheaper than face-to-face counselling. So if you are looking to get therapy sorted, head to the link in the description of this episode to get 10% off. Now the podcast is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. Now I can't think of a better way to smash 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics and adaptogens into your body than in a nice green shake that doesn't taste that bad because most green shakes, let's face it, taste terrible. This isn't fruit squash. This is hardly a nice milkshake or a smoothie. It is a green shake and it does taste all right. The benefit is You get loads of vitamins and minerals packed in, probably more than you'd be able to eat in fruit and vegetable in a day. So it ticks a load of boxes for you health-wise. I'm not a big fan of cooking, so it's really easy for me. If you want to be lazy like me or just take care of your health and get all your vitamins and minerals in, depending on which way you look at it, you can head to athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read today and you get five free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D. So you don't even have to think about vitamin D for a whole year. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read. Oh, and you also get a free bottle with your first purchase. So that's kind of good news. But now the adverts are out of the way, let's get into the conversation that I had with Daniel. I learned a lot. Hopefully you will be able to as well. And as always, please share it as wide as you can because it helps keep the lights on in my house. You run an Instagram account, obviously alongside some, some other things. Could you give people listening just a quick introduction to you? Sure. So my name's my name's Daniel, better known as the narcissist psychologist, I suppose, on Instagram. I run an account. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Ed. I'm not necessarily sure what the aim and focus of the account is. It's kind of like my sort of vessel through which I kind of spout any kind of ideas that I think might be relevant or helpful for, for people to think about, or I suppose maybe to challenge some of the conventional thinking around issues. I suppose I focus primarily on, I guess, three areas. So one of them being sort of, you know, mental health as I, you know, being a psychologist, specifically sort of mental health and its relationship to violence. 
given that I sort of specialize in forensic psychology as well as clinical psychology, but not just necessarily any violence. I have a particular interest in sort of thinking about and addressing conversations around men's violence against women, but then also tied into that. I also enjoy talking about or thinking about and deconstructing the notions of, of masculinity really. So those are kind of the, the broad brush strokes of my account and the kind of things that I will generally talk about. So yes. And, and a forensic psychologist then, so what, what is your current role? So I'm, I'm duly qualified as a forensic and a clinical psychologist. So that means I've been trained in both sort of the um, more clinical side of things. So thinking about psychological distress and mental illness and how that sort of manifests in somebody's life and sort of the, the way it impacts on their, I guess, day-to-day functioning and those kind of things. But then I'm also trained as a forensic psychologist where I'm, I specialize in thinking about, I guess, risk reduction. For, for for the main part, but then also how uh, people have come to commit their offences over time and think about ways in which to, well, I suppose to try and understand how they got to the point where they committed their offences and think about their life and then sort of think about moving forward and how to help them rehabilitate and address those kind of what's called, I guess, criminogenic needs. But I work in, I suppose, I don't work in a purely forensic setting and I don't work in a purely clinical setting. I work in, uh, I work with people who have, who either have a diagnosis of personality disorder or would fit the criteria for, I guess, personality traits that would be quite problematic for them and those around them. And I guess, you know, given that I work in a prison or within the criminal justice system, generally for society as well. So the, the, my work involves thinking about the psychological distress, so the the experiences that they've had that which could have been sort of, you know, well, which were obviously quite distressing and traumatizing to a degree and how that impacts on their mental health, but then also how that links to their history of offending and also their risk of future offending and kind of trying to think about how the two merge together and trying to address both of them at the same time to essentially give somebody the opportunity to heal from the things that have happened to them, but then also live a life that is uh, beneficial to them, but then also, you know, kind of the main, the main driver behind the ministry of justice is to make sure that they don't do the thing that they did before. Yeah. So yeah, so that's pretty much, that's pretty much my day job really. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Like, it must be quite a, a challenging position to hold, to be that compassionate kind of helper of those who have committed probably atrocities and stuff like that. And I guess it mm-hmm. is that one of the things that has pushed you into making this account for essentially like for the internet? Cause is it mostly men that you work with? So actually, no. So I have two, I have two roles. I work in a prison and then I work in, in a community setting as well. The community setting is kind of, it's like a community hub. So we sort of work with people who are coming out of prison and it's, it's essentially mixed gender or sort of, you know, between the genders as well, because, you know, we would accept and work with people who were either trans or transitioning or things like that. So it's not just exclusively uh, one or the other, but we haven't necessarily had that many women come through to be fair as yet. And we're kind of looking into why that is, but primarily sort of the, the other part of my job, which I work three days a week, I work in a women's prison. So I work primarily with women. Okay. So it's, (laughs) so it's kind of. So the reason why I've started my account is because I guess working with the women in the prison, 
but they're kind of main common denominator within their life about sort of the, mostly the difficulty and the trauma they've experienced and the reasons why they have essentially such really hard lives. The common denominator amongst that is usually some kind of abuse or trauma perpetuated by a man. So the, the point and purpose of my account and the reason why I'm, um, so passionate about talking about men's violence against women and why I'm interested in sort of addressing the ideas behind masculinities, because for me, there is a distinct link between, I guess, notions of masculinity and what it means to be a man and how that relates to men's relationships to women. And I guess because I don't necessarily work, um, as directly with men in my job, I have less, I don't know, I suppose influence over maybe changing those minds. Uh, but also, even if I did, that would be on a, on a bit of a smaller scale, because I suppose I would only work with a, a handful of individuals at any yeah. time, which again, you know, would be a beneficial impact because, you know, a small change is better than none there. I suppose the idea behind my account is maybe to try and reach a wider audience. And primarily I would like to have a wider male audience, but I suppose the problem comes in the things I talk about and the things, you know, which obviously have a strong feminist, uh, stand, standpoint or viewpoint for yeah. ideology, I suppose, I guess aren't necessarily that appealing to men. And I guess he, herein lies the problem, isn't it? So it's, it's, how do you, how do you engage men in conversations about things that would be helpful for them to know about in order to kind of try and address the wider systemic difficulties or issues that relate to some of the stuff that some men do again, you know, not trying yeah. to punish all men, not all brush, men, but again, yes. yes, not all men, but all men at the same time. But yeah, but that's the, but that's, different. that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's, I think the, the problem people have and the reason people do like the whole, not all men is because of like, we're like, obviously most of the perpetrators of violence in the world are men. And, yeah. and there are a lot of men, I think in, we live in quite a, advanced part of the world right mm -hmm. in terms of our well we're quite liberal i would say as as far as democracies go in the world the uk is doing mm -hmm. doing pretty well and i think yeah. a lot of the like the the backup from men comes from when it's like yes men are doing this and they're like hold on not my circus not my monkeys i'm not i'm not the one who's who's in control of that guy they're, they're not my mate who's doing it and then uh, Daniel Sloss. I don't know if you've ever seen his yeah, yeah, comedy when, when he's there. Like, I knew him. I knew that guy and maybe I should have like done something to stop it. And I, I guess it's trying to get men in the frame of mind to be like, mm. yes, maybe it's not my circus, but maybe I should tell the monkeys to behave. <laughs> and it, yeah. And I guess it's about, so it's about trying to understand that masculinity is part of a culture in which we kind of grow up in, isn't it? So, you know, it's, it's not, so when we say men, we don't, we're not talking about individual men. We're talking about the broad brushstroke, brushstroke yeah. idea of 50% of the world. Exactly. And, and it's about the idea of what it is to be a man and how, how those rules, are you familiar with this sort of the, the notion of the man box? I'm not too aware of the man box. So if you, if you could explain that. Yeah, right. of course. So, oh, hopefully I get this right. So. The man box is basically this idea that in order to be uh, a, a particular kind of man, a successful man, a dominant man, you have to adhere to certain rules. And there are things like, you know, you have to be straight and homosexuality is, is, is 
not not forbidden, but you know, it, being homosexual doesn't mean it means that you're not a real man. So being straight or heterosexual is kind of like the the one of the yeah. ideals of manhood. Uh, being sexually promiscuous, being aggressive and dominant, being um, uh, never showing emotion or sort of never sort of um, giving into any kind of emotion, things like that. So I can't remember where the phrase was coined, but is it? Tony Porter sort of gave a really strong speech. It's a, t- it's a TED talk in which he talks about the relationship between the man box and men's violence against women. And he talks about how the ideals of, you know, things like men must dominate women, sexual promiscuity, being sort of aggressive and dominant, all these kind of messages sort of infiltrate and bleed into the sort of ideas of, 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 you know, if you want to be a man uh, and, and a particular kind of man and a successful man and a man that kind of adheres really closely to the idea of what we have culturally come to define as, the, yeah. you know, some people would say the alpha male, I guess. The man, whatever, Jack the man, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, that, you know, there's a certain set of um, rules, principles, whatever you want to call it. And it's called the man box in the sense that if you step outside the man box, you get punished because if you um, show emotion, you, you know, you are then you're then not considered a man. And then you're almost like beaten into submission to be like, boys don't cry. You're such a pussy, you know, man up, all those kind of things. And, and then we were kind of bullied back into the man box to kind of fit into this cookie cutter almost shape of what it means to be a man so that again if you're not domineering then you're weak and you're not a a man or if you're not sexually promiscuous and sort of you know having all manner of sex or at least having sort of rampant sex and all this kind of thing then you're then you're equally not a man and then you get bullied for it and you get shamed for it and people call you i don't know horrible yeah i'm trying to think of whatever whatever that whatever they would say to kind of demean your um manhood in relation to not being some virile fucking stallion that's just going around shagging um women all the time and i guess the idea is and so what i'm saying is is that we grow up in a culture or men but primarily again sort of we're talking sort of you know more western men apparently in this progressive more liberal world in which we live in which again i would say we do but we sort of still adhere or are required to adhere to these kind of scripts. And it's about sort of saying to men that we need to kind of change the script a little bit. And then actually, you know, the definition of a man is not just this, there is more to being a man and it's not, it doesn't have to be these really fucking awful, horrible things about suppressing your emotion or being, yeah. Um, a straight guy or having to be aggressive or dominant like because those aren't that's not the be all and end all of life really is it uh, <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not you're no. joking <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and i guess yeah so i guess when we talk when we say all men you know all men at some point will try yeah. and adhere to these kind of rules in some way and the the, the problem with with that is that in some instances, trying to adhere to these man box rules does lead some men to engage in various degrees of sexual violence against women, whether that be wolf whistling in the streets, telling women, you know, at nightclubs, you know, I want to buy you a drink and being really insistent on it because you have some kind of sense of entitlement that actually a woman should accept a yeah. drink from you or then getting pissed off when they say no, but then, but then actually 
then taking, uh, you know, but then accepting the fact that if they turn around and say, well, no, actually I have a boyfriend and that being the point where you go, oh, actually, yeah, maybe I won't buy you a drink because you're yeah. some, some other person's, some other man's woman, which by yeah, us, like you should, cost- you know, that you, you, sh- you know, at the first, no, you should have been like, all right, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, like, have oh, a good night. Someone else owns um, you. Yeah, exactly. God be like, oh, actually, you know, I won't, I won't um, buy you a drink because you, you belong to someone else. Yeah, your like, master is elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, why is that the fucking line at which we draw or which we accept a woman's no? Um, yeah. And then and so I, that's kind of like the, uh, you know, the more sort of subtle end of the, of the, you know, spectrum of things that men do towards women that create, or that just make life a bit more, a lot more, not a bit more, but a lot more difficult than maybe it needs to be. And then obviously you've got the and this, extreme spectrum. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, and it's difficult enough. Like I've just read that invisible woman book and, and nothing in this world <laughs> seems to be designed with women. Oh in mind. Like yeah. not what? a single fucking thing. I know. It's, it's that, that book mental. That book fucking blew my mind. Honestly, like I read it and I was just like, oh my God, like how, how a woman not revolted and just sort of. Well, I suppose yeah. they are trying, not, and, 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 and I mean that in a non-violent way, but they're obviously trying yeah. to make the points that need to be made. And I was just like, oh my God, it's, it's, literally, it's literally a world designed for men, by men. With, <laughs> and do you know what sucks? Is like, what? the fact that it's a world designed for men, that is something that a man does not like to hear unless they yeah. have, have achieved something. And are then successful. So to hear that gets Again, them back okay. up because they're like, if it was, I'd be doing better. It's like, no, no, no. That's not actually how it works. It's just yeah. if it was, you might be doing a little bit worse, mate. <laughs> and yeah. you should be grateful that you're not. Yeah. And and the whole thing is that, you know, people or oh, men, sorry, think that in order for a world to be um truly designed for men. It must then mean that all men are successful, but then yeah. what they don't sort of take into account is the idea that, you know, there's, there's a world designed for men by men, but then there's also the, the, the hierarchical, uh, tier sort of dominant yeah. system of the man box where you have to be a particular type, yeah, to be a particular man. type of man in order for, for, for the world to be your oyster essentially, as it were, but not every man can adhere to the the rules of the man box or sort of the idea of what's known as hegemonic masculinity, which is kind of the, the masculinity du jour. So like the, yeah. the, the, how we've come to conceptualize masculinity in the most sort of, uh, the, the most current and contextual time in, in a period of history. Yes. Okay. So it's like how it probably used to be. I'm going to get on my armor whenever my king, who I've never met, wants exactly, me to. Yeah. It's now. If my mate says he respects women, I'm gonna call him gay. Exactly. But yeah. So, so the notion of what it means to be a man has changed over time. So, you know, going back to there's a, there's a really interesting, very short book by Andrew Smiler, which I sort of talked about in one of my episodes, my podcast episodes, where I talk about sort of toxic masculinity. Um, it's and it's basically called "Is Masculinity Toxic?" and it's like. I don't know, hundred pages long or whatever. Okay. Um, nice. Love those. So, so, so yeah, so really short and in it, he kind of, he, he sort of talks about, he tracks that there are four, four sort of known periods of, of masculinity or four distinct kind of masculinity 
time periods in history. One of them was around sort of, uh, I guess, Neanderthal time, sort of, you know, when we were learning to create fire and all that stuff and the hunter-gatherer times. Yeah. That kind of, and then I think it moves to the, I can't remember which, I can't remember which way it goes, but I think it's like the, um, enlightenment. So I guess sort of like, it's like 80. Yeah. Yeah. So like seven, um, 16, 17, 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. Like French, so, French enlightenment. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Got you. And, and so sort of, you know, uh, the, the idea of masculinity changed then. And I think, I think the idea of chivalry was was part of that so you know defending your de- defending women's rights okay. and, and, and not women's rights women's honors and all that kind of stuff and it yeah I mean, part definitely of, not, the, the their world, <laughs> not their rights not their rights yeah <laughs> uh, just their honor uh, and you know in terms of like the possessive sense then i think it moved to a little bit more of like the uh, an industrialized sense of masculinity and i guess this is where we are a little bit more now uh, we're a bit more in this sort of industrial um, sort of period of, of masculinity where men are encouraged to be isolative. They're encouraged to not sort of express their emotions. They're encouraged to be kind of like the breadwinner of the family. They're encouraged to sort of embody a really sort of stoic, stiff upper lip, uh, proud way of being. And 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 then I guess the, the, the fourth period is, I guess what he's talking about now is how the ideas of masculinity are starting to be questioned a little bit and are maybe starting to be thought about slightly differently. And I think maybe this has um, a lot to do with, I guess, the, the idea of uh, gender not being, well, gender being more understood to be a cultural phenomenon as opposed to a purely biological one, but then also the idea that sort of there are many sort of genders that fall with between the kind of man, woman binary. Uh, how, how. Like that is is a world beyond me, right? I don't I don't really know anything about trans. I don't know anyone who's trans. I don't think. Mm-hmm. What like man and woman spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Are there numbers for stuff in between now? I say that I hate it when I talk about it, and I'm like, now this is what it's like. It's like because I don't know the developments on it, but no, no idea. Is there like a particular number of genders like now, or or is that something we can't, we don't like to say because someone might come along and say that that's not true. I'd like it's, I feel it's it's such a, I actually got called wet the other day because uh, I spoke about my male privilege five times, apparently in 20 minutes on a podcast. Um, And I feel wet when I try and dance around subjects like this and i mean that in the sense of just like i'm just being a bit floppy i don't know what to say <laughs> so and it, rightly, and it, i am it, being a bit wet <laughs> yeah and i suppose and i guess and i guess this is again that i suppose that's a part of the reason why i want to well, why i created the account and i didn't necessarily start the account with the idea of challenging or thinking about masculinity in mind it kind of just naturally evolved and i suppose the point of my account is to try and have the 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 conversations that are you know, difficult to have because we don't have the awareness or we don't know that things need to be talked about, or we maybe don't have all the information at hand or, you know, things are maybe a bit beyond our scope of understanding or sort of awareness. And it's to kind of bring some of those conversations to the forefront, either through me kind of discussing stuff or me sharing things that I, you know, from people that I follow and and having those kind of conversations. So, you know, 
I, I would say that whilst it feels maybe a bit awkward and, and I suppose you don't necessarily feel like you want to say the wrong thing because you don't want to come across as maybe ignorant or not necessarily fully aware of stuff. And I would say that's a really good place to come from because if you can come from it from a place of curiosity and a place of wanting to know, but also an awareness of the fact that you don't know everything, but you're yeah. wanting to learn, I think that's such a beautiful place to come from. Like, you know, you, you know, from what I from what I can gather from your account and what your sort of, I guess maybe journey has been is that it comes from a place of wanting to learn and learning from books and the, the information that books can give you. And, you know, that there is a wider world beyond your sort of bubble around you, or even your sort of social sphere that actually books can provide you this opportunity to enter into spaces that you wouldn't ordinarily have come across just in your white privileged life, because, you know, that's, you know, I I saw you shared, you shared uh, a post about somebody who's won a prize for their book, Empire Land. Oh, Satnam Sagera. Yeah. So you might not necessarily have known, and I don't know what the book's about because I haven't read it, but I'm just using this as an example. You might not necessarily have known all the information that was in there and the particular sort of lens through which, you know, that book was written and that yeah. then opened your eyes and you now have a, maybe a different understanding of, I'm assuming it's about sort of British colonialism, right? Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. So he, he's, he's from like a Sikh upbringing and, and he's yeah. a historian and he's just written about the empire with the facts that he has available to him which lots of uh white british people have not enjoyed and have, have been tweeting him about because they don't like the whole revisionist history thing yeah um, exactly it's, and, it's and so it's weird sorry. <laughs> there you go and I, and I suppose again you know had you not started this kind of uh, journey that, that you're on you wouldn't have been exposed to that kind of information and you wouldn't now know the things that you know and I suppose that's why that's why I've started that account to kind of do bits and pieces of that. And again, like yeah. you know, I don't ever claim to be an expert in anything because I'm not. All I, I just like to share information, and I like yeah. to really discussion. And that's pretty much what I what I intend to do, and why why I try and do it. But to answer your question, so I, again, obviously, I'm not an expert in sort of uh, the, the the trans sort of population or demographic and things like that, but I have listened to a couple of podcasts and I do have some book recommendations that I haven't read yet. But if you want, if you want them, I can I can uh, give. Them I, think, I think there's a few on trans. Like there's there's two sides I want to read from. One is a woman who went on Joe Rogan age ago, got loads of hate because she was like, I see a pattern in American teenagers and mm-hmm. I find it concerning. I'm going to write a book about it. And then there's another one I think that someone wrote from the UK. I think it might just literally be a book with trans on the cover. Yeah. I can't remember. I, I think it's who. called, yeah. I've got it on my, I've got it on my Kindle. I think it's called The the Trans Issue. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Kind of like a provocative title, but obviously is doing it from the lens of this yeah, isn't really an issue. From the situation. Yeah. So... So, so I've not heard of that other, that other. I can't, I'll have to, I'll, I'll send it to you um, at, at another stage, but right. So I, uh, I, I'm happy with what we've spoken about on, on men and stuff like this. And I, I'll, I'll want to speak a little bit more about women, right? Cause I, I bought a book cool. the other day called yeah. the better half and it's uh, on the genetic superiority of women. Okay. And uh, at the start. I heard about that book. 
at the start of the book, he says, women live longer than men. Women have stronger immune systems. Women are less likely to suffer from a developmental disability and are more likely to see the world in a variety of colours and overall are better fighting cancer. Women are simply stronger than men at every stage of life. And uh, this is, these would be arguments I imagine chucked up by people who are like, there's nothing wrong with women. They've got it super fucking easy. It's men who are in prison. It's men who are like this. And yeah. one of the big things that's brought up from from both sides, one side would say that this thing doesn't exist and one side says that this is kind of the root of, of all evil. And that's the mm. patriarchy word. Mm. Um, patriarchy for me and from my understanding, and I'm, I'm hoping that you can either correct me, like course correct me, or just let me know your opinion on what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, patriarchy is a faceless organization. We don't actually know if any, there's no, there's no membership cards, the patriarchy. It's we're fighting something that technically doesn't exist. And I feel like that's, that's a problem with putting a lot of onus on the patriarchy. But my understanding is that the patriarchy is essentially the way you would see it if it was a matriarchy. It's like, it, this is a male at the head of things. Men are at the top, men make all the decisions. And that's just kind of how it is. And that bleeds obviously through society how men it's like the default male like she says invisible women um so my understanding of the patriarchy is essentially that it's most positions of power are filled by men most if not all yeah and i feel that this absolutely must come from religion somewhere okay and i and i feel that religion is something that's well ignored and i and maybe i think shied away from by anyone who wants to tackle men's violence or patriarchy. And I feel, what do I feel about religion? How can I? You have some strong views. You have some strong views, Ed. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I really, (laughs) um, are you trying to be very PC about what you say? Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm like, I just think organized religion, there's not much for place for it in society. But I'll caveat that by saying, I know that it helps millions, probably billions of people mm-hmm. have a better sense of subjective well-being. So who mm-hmm. the fuck am I to say anything against it? Yeah. But I do think the patriarchy stems from religion and that is tied into our culture. And I, oh, there's two questions here, but I just want to say, do you, do we ever talk about religion? Why don't we talk about religion when it comes to patriarchy? And like, think about all the countries in the Middle East. And, and that's something you can't say without being brandished like an Islamophobe. But trust me, I'm, I'm out for Christians and Catholics as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess, so I guess, well, yeah, I suppose, I suppose if you, if you think about it and it makes sense, like the, the foundations of our culture or, or most cultures are literally built upon religion, aren't they? So, you know, uh, America is a very good example of how I don't really know that much about religion. I'm a bit like you. I, I don't, I don't, uh, what's the word? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with anybody that is religious. I, again, like you, I believe that. Uh, religion has a, has a beneficial purpose to people in the sense that it might give them meaning, purpose, guidance, uh, a way in which to live their life in a, uh, I guess, pro-social way. But with anything, uh, there are people who will twist 
the meanings of like, you know, we'll go for the Bible because I know more about the Bible than I know about any other religious text who will twist the Bible to suit their own needs, you know? So the idea of homophobia in America and transphobia in America is, you know, one of the, one of the things that it's really steeped in is the fact that it's, you know, a sin against the Bible and that, yeah. you know, sort of sexuality, exactly. It's a sin. So, you know, there is, there are a lot of things that religion well, for lack of a better phrase, does fucking badly. But at the same time, not everyone who follows a, a faith will sort of, uh, you know, yeah, adhere yeah. to it in that way. But yeah, I guess I've never really thought about religion uh, in that way because I guess it's not something that I, well, it's not part, it's not on my radar. I can give you some, uh, I can Go give you some, some good, good books, Reed, because I really okay. did, I really did get obsessed with it because uh, I don't know if you've heard of Christopher Hitchens. No. So he was like a big, him, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, all like the, the main atheist people, yeah, people yeah, you'd yeah. go to if you wanted to talk about atheism. <laughs> um, Chris Hitchens, unfortunately dead now. But he wrote a book called God is Not Great, which is a really provocative title. Not one you want to read on the tube. Um, <laughs> or, on, uh, or on Sunday. Yes, or on Sunday. But you wouldn't be reading on Sunday anyway because it's dead rest, of course. Um, <laughs> of course, absolutely. And it opened my eyes up to what goes on in other parts of the world that we in the West love to ignore, which mm-hmm. is strictly down to like religious beliefs, like female genital mutilation to yeah. millions of young girls in Africa, still genital mutilation to young boys everywhere, like still yeah. and circumcisions and stuff like that, which interesting fact that came from God is not great is in 1994, there was a practitioner in New York who, when he was performing circumcisions would put the baby boy's penis into his mouth to stop bleeding. And this is in 1994. Jesus and when question on this, I think it was Bloomberg, as in from yeah, Bloomberg the, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, He was like, well, we shouldn't get involved in religious um, <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> and the whole book is just pointing out all of these kind of hypocrisies in the world that we never think of or get like brushed under the carpet. Yeah. And then I got obsessed. So I read uh, Sam Harris's The Moral Landscape, which is about how we can look to rationally agree on some values that will be good for the well-being of everyone in the world, which yeah. is a tough thing to do, right? Because Eastern and Western yeah. morals will clash. And then The End of Faith by Sam Harris, which is one that he was brandishing Islamophobe for, but does also go into lots of detail on other um, religions. Mm-hmm. The main focus was about five pages of just quotes from the Quran, which was like death to the infidels. I mm-hmm. think Sam Harris feels really strongly about that, which is okay. a shame if you don't read about what he's pissed off about. But if you read about what he's pissed off about, you can kind of come to the end of it. And you're like, oh, actually, fair enough. Mm-hmm. And then you have to remember that just because the book says something and some people the fundamentalist will interpret it in one way, does not brandish mm. my neighbor who's Muslim. Like it doesn't, mm. it doesn't mean that they think that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But there are some, some harrowing statistics in, in those books. And I'll, I'll send you the list Correct. afterwards because it, it, it may open your eyes. But like, actually, religion. <laughs> and, I'm a and yes, I, I'll be on for days to come. But nobody, but I guess, you know. Again, I haven't read the books, but on the face of it, it makes sense. Because if you're thinking about, um, again, how, and, and again, this is based on my very sort of limited knowledge about the history of the world. But 
as far as I understand it, the cultures in which we live and the world in which we live and the societies in which we um, currently live, in which we currently live, are very much grounded in sort of religious uh, sort of thinkings. Um, you know, our, most of our laws are, as far as I'm aware, pretty much around, you know, the Ten Commandments. And that's sort of yeah. you know, those things, you know, th- those are, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, you know, yeah. all di- apart from the fact that, you know, we shouldn't take the laws there in vain. You know, there's no law about that, but there probably but was at some point. There probably was at some point, yeah, until they all realized that actually, if you say that, there's probably nothing bad is going to happen to you. This life. <laughs> in this life, yes. But then, so then obviously, you, you, you know, if you then think about, you know, who who is the head of the churches and who is the, who are the, you know, people in charge of, of interpreting the texts and who is in charge of disseminating the information. It's primarily men, isn't it? So, you know, I think, I don't know what the statistic is because I can't remember off the top of my head, but I am aware that within the, uh, is it the Roman Catholic church? I think there's, or is it, oh, I can't remember, but there's, there's no, there's very few Catholic priests, I think. Yeah. I think priests, there's like the women are not, not necessarily allowed. No. And so it's yeah. de Beauvoir's The Second Sex is actually a banned book under the Vatican because it really? uh, incites lesbianism. Well, I got really that's interesting. Did you? Yeah, it sounds like, <laughs> but I suppose, and I suppose, and I, yeah, it is, it is something quite interesting to, to think about and to look into and to, you know, to think about tracing back where, where the, because I've always, I've always thought about or wondered about you know, uh, again, relating back to the man box about the rules of the man box and where they came from, because they must've come from somewhere as in like, you know, culturally we've all agreed and we all buy into them and we all sort of say, oh yes, this is how we should be a man or, or, you know, I'm not going, you know, that's not how I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a man differently. And then we, you know, supposedly suffer the consequences of, you know, racism, uh, uh, homophobia, uh, transphobia, things like that. But actually thinking back to to you know that far back about the the roots of, of religion i wonder actually if the the ideals of what it means to be a man have sort of morphed from um those original roots i don't know where it would have come from but then it must have started somewhere and it makes sense that that would potentially be kind of the one of the starting points i guess it was it was very important in colonialism was taking religion elsewhere like that was that was one of the motivations was like spread the word of god whilst also mm. rape and pillage every village just slip mm. that in there exactly um, and well women were actually kicked out of the church and i don't know the exact dates of this um but there used to be a place about 13 miles out of athens i can't remember what it's called i want to say it was like eleusis with an e mm-hmm not a, a you and they'd go there and they'd do psychedelics and the psychedelics were harvest from this ergot which this we and the priestesses would do that and they'd prepare everything and there were lots of priestesses in the church up until around i think it was 200 whatever years we're in now after B- death. bc ad domini and the common yeah. era we're in the common era <laughs> yeah, now right yeah, yeah. around then yeah they were all like kicked out and it was just it was just going to be Men, men who are in charge that i got that from the book the immortality key which is about psychedelics and the origins of religion mm-hmm. um but i didn't read the whole thing so i, I can't tell you if that is a mm-hmm. certain fact but i do believe that there was a, a certain time where all the priestesses who were very highly regarded were just kicked out 
Yeah. And that's, again, that, that's probably patriarchy 101, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. You know, new, new priestesses are not as, whatever decision they made, not as good as male priests. And yeah. therefore, you should get the fuck out of the church and we're going to rule this and make all the decisions. And yeah. Again, well, you know, it's. And now you can't have abortions either. Exactly. And it's just, well, it's, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the modern day equivalent of parliament today, where you know, sort of the, the, the large majority of our sort of UK government is made up primarily about of uh, old, old white men who are just making the decision. And obviously I know it's not the same because obviously we have female MPs and all that kind of stuff, but the, you know, the large majority of people who are in charge and sort of making decisions about uh, the future of the country are people who are far removed from those who probably need the most help. Uh, so therefore, you know, they're not in the back of these, uh, generalized, but older white men's minds. So it's pretty much exactly the same thing. You know, we don't need women to make the decisions. We can make the decisions well enough on our own because we are, you know, educated or superior or we, whatever you want to say, they just no more. Don't they? they just know more. Patients. Exactly. <laughs> the parliament actually didn't pay anyone to to be an MP until like 1911. So it was strictly a hobby club for rich white men who had nothing better to do up, up until a hundred years ago, pretty much. So it was exclusively for older men who had nothing better to do because women didn't hold the money. Yeah. At times it was men, it was, wouldn't want to burden yeah. a woman with her own money, would you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't want to burden her with all that thinking. Um, exactly. And I mean, you know, she's got to definitely stay home and, and do what needs to be done. And actually, you know, with my free time, I'm able to now go and make decisions about the borough, as it were. <laughs> and what I was saying is that so they now make a fuck ton of money, don't they? Well, yeah, maybe yeah. not necessarily a fuck ton of money, but they've certainly got, you know, second houses that they can go into. They've got expenses paid for them. So they, they've done well for themselves since yeah. whenever it was. Yeah, for sure. Get- and it's, and it's particularly helpful that whenever a woman leader comes in, she's a bit shit, like Margaret Thatcher or Hillary Clinton or Pretty Patel, who makes a rod for her own back all the time. It's like, I, I I was saying to my sister the other day, it's like, maybe I should try and join the patriarchy so I can actually employ some of the good ones <laughs> as opposed to the ones that we get left with because they're having to fight with people who are actually fighting each other as opposed yeah. to this like collaborative effort that it should be in a democratic government. And I think, and I think it's a, I think it's a shame because particularly, well, they're just really it's such a hard word to pick here it's a particular type of woman that it takes to get to that position and well, fair play and that, to anyone who does but anyone who wants that much power i think is kind of cooked in the head anyway so and and i suppose well, and i guess and i guess it's tricky isn't it because i suppose the, the the ones you hear about and the ones that are not necessarily making the best decisions and the ones who are you know not necessarily doing anyone any favors aren't the ones that you are, are the ones that you hear about because there are i'm sure that you know there uh you know there was uh is it joe swinson uh who you don't really hear about very much uh, she's actually no longer an mg but i know she was at the time uh stella creasy you don't really hear about her that much other than when people complain about the fact that she takes a newborn child into the houses of parliament so that she can yeah. breastfeed them because they actually they don't really give uh female mps a whole hell of a lot of maternity leave you don't hear much about and then obviously you know there was joe cox and you didn't really hear about her until the point that she died so there are obviously female mps who 
um, you know, aren't pretty Patel and aren't, uh, but you don't hear about them because they are a probably not in positions where they can make those type of decisions. Um, yeah. and they, again, as you say, uh, probably don't have the, well, again, I try, I try to hold compassion even for MPs. Cause I just think you can't be that much of a dick, but at the same time, my partner told me once and I, I haven't listened to it. So this is very much, you know, third-hand anecdotal. Yeah. They, she listened to a radio four documentary where they were talking about what it takes to become a politician. And the person was saying, I think it must've been a psychologist of some kind, but the person was saying that in order to get to like, you know, the, the higher levels of, of, of parliament, you have to be of a particular type of personality because it's pretty much a brutal dog eat dog. You fuck over the next person. And it's, you know, the prime minister wants a job done and you have, uh, you know, morals in which you don't want to do something. There will definitely be some other person who wants to surpass you and will do the dirty job. Yeah. So, you know, it takes a, it takes a, you know, I don't want to bandy around unhelpful labels, but it takes a, a certain kind of personality in order to get to higher levels of parliament. And, and I guess that's irrespective of gender, because I guess, you know, obviously Pretty Patel is uh, such a legend. Oh my God. She's, you sometimes just can't believe that she says some of the things that she says, but again, I try not to comment too much about politics because I'm very much a novice in terms of politics. I don't yeah. understand it that much. Uh, I don't understand it enough. Uh, I'm trying to learn a bit more about it, but there are just, there's just too much shit to learn about in the world sometimes. And I think you just have to pick what you, yeah. uh, a lane to stay in. Yeah. Lucky you're trying to do that. Cause I'm trying to do everything and it's killing me. <laughs> there's only so much yeah. information you can take on board without going exactly, insane yeah. and i think i've passed yeah. it <laughs> yeah and so the patriarchy then so let's before we wrap up i i'd, I'd love to know from the perspective of of the everyday man who doesn't like to rape people and who doesn't like to catcall people <laughs> what would be an the actions of an ally okay so the patriarchy, as I understand it, is, as you said, so it's, it's where the positions of power within a culture or a society are held by men. So therefore the decisions that are made are generally made by men, which will generally on the whole benefit men more than women. That doesn't mean that men aren't fucked over because again, if you're thinking about the man box and the particular type of man that decisions are being made for, you have to fit into a particular, um, category of man in order to reap the most benefits from these decisions. So you have to have money. You have to be generally white. You have to generally be of a certain class. You have to mostly be the heterosexual because if you fall anywhere outside of those, you know, uh, specifications, then, you know, then that's where things get intersectional, isn't it? So if you're a black man, then you're probably, you, you, you are more disadvantaged than a white person. So therefore the decisions about the, the decisions that impact men will impact black men more adversely because they're not white. So therefore, if you're a white man, that affects you a lot better. If you're a, uh, you know, very low down on the poverty scale, all the decisions about whether, you know, you know, tax heating bills, all that kind of stuff 
that's not going to benefit you. That's going to benefit the people who can afford to pay more tax, who can afford to pay the heating bills. You as a man who are trying to look after your family and feel the pressure to support your family, you're going to be fucked over by that because you don't fall into the middle to upper class uh, range of men. So it's not about the decisions benefiting all men. It's about benefiting a particular type of man. But regardless of the fact of whether it's does or doesn't benefit you as a particular individual, the decisions are still being made by men. The decisions are still being made from a male slash masculine perspective in terms of there's no real, as far as I'm aware, there's very little kind of consultation with any marginalized populations to try and assess whether these decisions that are being made are actually beneficial. So therefore, yeah. you know, they've, they've made through a very specific lens, which won't then benefit the people who, who fall outside of that particular lens. So that's how I understand patriarchy. It's not, again, it's not something you can see. It's not something you can touch. It's a, it's an ideological, um, it's an ideological system of power in the exact same way that you know, Christianity or religion is an ideological system of power. You know, if you go to church every day, if you pray seven times uh, a week, if you don't commit sins, then you will be a good Christian and you will go to heaven. You know, there are rules that you have to abide by. And if you don't abide by the rules, then you're a shit Christian and you're going to hell. So it's an ideology. It's a belief system that you buy into. White supremacy is a belief system that people buy into in the fact that white people have been thought to be superior when actually they're not, they're no more superior than anybody that has a different skin color, but it's a belief system that was created that benefited a particular population that was primarily white people. But then again, if you think about, you know, the people at the top who were making those decisions, those are primarily white men. So again, what the decisions are and who they're aimed at and whether you fall into particular categories about, uh, about those decisions will benefit you or not. So that was a long explanation of what patriarchy is, but that's my kind of a bit. No, that's good. I'm, I'm happy okay. with that. So I, I suppose this is quite a tricky question, isn't it? Like how to be an ally. And I've, I've started to read around the, the difference between what an ally is and what an accomplice is. So an ally is somebody who you know, absolutely believes in the idea of equality and social justice and will say things like, you know, women deserve equal rights. Uh, they will understand about the, I guess, you know, the gender pay gap. They will understand about the different levels of sexual harassment that women face either in the streets or in the work, uh, in the workplace. So they'll understand it. They'll get it. But that's about it. Yeah. Whereas an accomplice is somebody who is actually trying to actively change or work towards trying to agitate the systems in order to try and do something to make, to bring about change. So I guess if you're, you know, if you're somebody who's listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, no, I definitely believe in, you know, equal rights for women. You know, I definitely believe that racism is something that's abhorrent and should, uh, abhorrent and should get rid of. I absolutely believe in trans rights and all those kind of things. If you're listening to it and you agree with it, then you're, then you are already an ally and that's brilliant. But then what you have to think about is like, what are you actually doing in order to try and bring about the systemic change that continues to perpetuate the, the, the issues that people are, uh, that are essentially making people's life fucking shit. Cause I suppose if you're not necessarily doing anything to try and change that, and I suppose it doesn't have to be anything massive, like, you know, I don't think people are expecting all of us to kind of, you know, pick up pitchforks and go sort of marching on, you know, 
parliament and all that kind of stuff, which maybe might help. I don't know. But again, not inciting violence. I'm not Donald Trump. No one pitch, a pitchfork and head towards parliament. Thank you. But I guess the idea is, you know, the idea is if you're not, if you're not doing anything other than agreeing, then you're not really doing much at all. So then in order to, I guess, so in order to then be, to move from being an ally into being an accomplice, I guess you have to try and the way I think about it is what can I do in my immediate environment? You know, yeah. it's a bit like there's the, the rhetoric that they use for climate change. You know, if you can do your little bits and if everybody stuck together and just did their little bits, yeah. things would probably improve. The only problem is, is that people don't. And they think that, you know, just because their neighbors recycling shit, then they probably don't have to. And therefore that just sort of counteracts everything. Yeah. So I guess what I would suggest is to try it. So if you're a man listening to this and one of your, th one of the things you would like to do is to try and understand the perspective of women, I would suggest just listening to anything that the women have to say, like, don't challenge women. Don't, don't fucking not all men. Don't, don't get defensive. Try not to get defensive. It's really hard. And I understand it because I've been there. I have been a not all man in the in the sort of wake of the Me Too movement, when there were a lot of a lot of women coming forth to sort of talk about their experiences of being harassed by men in power, you know, I was one of the people that were like, I have a strong sense that these might be women who are trying to, you know, play the system and trying to, you know, falsely accuse men of doing things. You know, I I will put my hand up and be like, it felt like there were a lot of women coming out to say that they they were being um, sexually harassed, you know, raped, groped, and all those kind of things. It felt uh, a little bit too much at the time, yeah. but through doing my own learning. So, you know, I started off by just trying to read books. I think I was in a different position in the sense that I obviously do the job that I do. And I had firsthand accounts of women who have experienced yeah. quite horrific trauma at the hands of men. So I'm in a quite unique position where I was sort of very much faced with the, well, the atrocities have made for lack of a better phrase, but if you're not in that position and I'm not expecting anybody to go out and sort of uncover women's hidden trauma, because that's just not, you know, don't do that. Definitely don't sort of go and explore women's trauma. Almost to speak to that guy. Exactly. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't fucking go and say, tell me your most traumatic thing. Cause that's not what I'm telling you to do. What I'm saying is do your own learning. So there are, you know, there are a multitude of books out there that you can start reading. So. One of the first things, one of the first things that I read that was really quite shocking to me, there was a book called, it was also turned into a Netflix TV series. Uh, it's called Unbelievable. So it's essentially a, it's a, the story about a woman who is, who is raped and she takes her story to the police and they essentially, um, don't believe her and they start to kind of challenge her, uh, version of events. Meanwhile, the, the, her, her rapist is going around committing um, acts of sexual violence against other women it's a it's a and it's based on a true story as well so that was so that's something that's quite intense to read but i guess kind of highlights the sort of perpetuation of rape myths and how uh, women are often disbelieved um when when reporting sexual violence particularly rape to to the police the other thing that i would suggest the other book that i would suggest reading uh, is anything by laura bates really she's so the, so the books that I've read are Everyday Sexism. I've read Men Who Hate Women. And I've currently just currently and almost finished reading Fix the System, Not the Women. She is a great sort of starter pack for wanting to just understand, uh, you know, 
the impact of sexism and misogyny on, on women on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the book you've talked about, so Invisible Women yeah, is incredible. Um, it's just, just, a, yeah. just to, to jump in and interrupt for, for people listening, I think if you haven't read anything about feminism before, one of like the, the best things you can do is take a bit from a book and okay, I could just go up to my sister or my mum or a friend who's a girl and blah. Do you know, one fun study found that with consistent childcare, mothers are twice as likely to keep their jobs. Isn't it a shame that there's no consistent childcare? And then you have a conversation about it and then you learn from people's first-hand experience of people that you give a shit about, which mm. is, let's face it, like there are going to be people we care about and there are going to be people we don't. Like that's how the world works. We need to be able to do that. But mm-hmm. having conversations with people you do give a shit about their first-hand experience yeah. is an uncomfortable thing to do mm-hmm. for a lot of people because they have yeah. to come face-to-face with reality that, oh, yeah, this is something that the people I love have to deal mm. with. Exactly. And, and I guess, yeah, and I guess, you know, read these things and think about the fact that there are women within your social circle who, to varying degrees, may have experienced some or all of the things that you're reading about. And just try and think about how fucked that is. Yeah. And then go and have, you know, open, transparent, curious conversations. Again, not for the purposes of exploring all their trauma, because that's not what you want to do, but for the purposes of just wanting to learn and to understand. And then just being like, you know, what, what can I do? How can I, how can I help? Is there anything that I can do that would be, you know, that would make uh, you feel safer, that would help you around the house, that would give you more leisure time. So one of the things that I'm continuously conscious of is the... I don't know if it's a statistic in that Invisible Woman book, but it's something about the fact that women have far less leisure time per day than men. I think it's something, something like, is it something between men have in India? I think terrible. Yeah, I just yeah. remember that much being India yeah, and yeah. Japan. You don't want to be a woman, basically. Exactly. So you like, I think you literally get like maybe half an hour to, of a day. Um, to yourself where you're not doing something for either your family like unpaid work your that's like 75 percent yeah. women that's exactly. totally so yeah and so one of the things i'm really conscious of and i really try and do is make sure that i give that that like leisure time is equitable between my partner and i and be like yeah just go and fucking watch selling sunsets or you know, the, the newest, the newest iteration of the Kardashians on, on Disney. Go right your brain so women don't yeah, take exactly. everything <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but, but, but also just to be like, you don't, you know, uh, let me share the, 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 the emotional and yeah. non-unpaid load, because that's, that's something that I didn't consider or think about. And maybe take on board, even at the start, you know, when, when, when our child, you know, when our first child was born is that, you know, I, I, and again, I haven't been this person who thinks this way and thinks about these things in this kind of context my whole life. I have come to, I have come to this point very recently in my life, probably over the last sort of five years, which still feels very new to me. So, you know, I'm not sitting here saying these things as a perfect human being that has you know the moral compass that i think everyone should have i've been you know a fucking dick really <laughs> for, for parts of my life i'm not i'm in no way perfect but i guess what i'm trying to say is just 
try and do things to change the things around you. And I guess, you know, if it's in your, and you know, try and do things that are within your power. No one's expecting miracles, but you know, if you can make small changes to, you know, the, the women's, the, the women's experiences in, 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 in your sort of social circle to start really. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's, that's my uh, answer to that question in a typically rambly way. <laughs> Didn't ramble too much. <laughs> so, um, if, I, if at all, maybe not even enough, but where, where can people find you if they, if they want to know more? So you can follow me on Instagram at, uh, the nicest psychologist. There's a few underscores there, which I can't really remember, but just, 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 just write it in. I also, I'm also on Twitter, but you know, Twitter's a bit of a fucking mess, so you might not want to follow me on there. I also have my own podcast. If you're interested, it's called the Narcissist Ramblings podcast, um, where I talk about a couple of things that I've mentioned today. And I'm trying to expand into having uh, a couple more guests just to sort of, you know, so it's not just me talking shit all the time. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Hopefully you learn as much as I did from that conversation because I learned quite a bit and I'm going to continue learning about it. But just remember, everyone do it at your own pace. You can't cram all the information in at once. If you take on board too much information at once, you will most likely get a headache and we don't want people to be getting headaches. Now, with this podcast, obviously I want you to share it, guys, and the sponsors are in the description of this episode. But a quick update from me is that I will be doing more solo episodes, but they won't be taking the form of book reviews for a bit. I'm just going to trial out a new method of doing things which can give, bring you some cool and interesting facts from books whilst not spoiling the books for you and doing a little bit of a review, a review less of a summary. As you can tell, I haven't quite worked it out but just for the time being, bear with me. There'll be interviews with cool and interesting people. I've got one coming up on stoicism, modern slavery, how social we are as people and how that's like enabled us to evolve into what we have. Uh, I've got a chat with a suicide researcher coming up. That won't be the most joyous conversation, but it will be quite a good one to have. So just bear with me, guys. Um, I'm sure you're not that bothered, but there will be some cooler new types of episodes coming very soon and when I say very soon I mean within the next couple of months so thank you very much for listening as always sign up to my email address share the episode all of that usual stuff that I badger you for but mostly love you bye